the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, December 23rd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And I'm Arthur Beasley. On this week's show, we'll be looking back at the major events of 2015. Who were the big winners and losers this year? Joining us in studio are Pamela Noonan, Laura Slattery and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Pamela, you've been looking at the winners and the losers in 2015. Who's on the up this Christmas? There's a lot of people on the up. Uh, the Collison brothers, Colm Lyne, Michael O'Leary, Bridget Donoghue, the Pratt family, Owen McCabe. I guess topping the list for me would be the Collison brothers. They've had an exceptionally good year. Uh, they're both in their 20s and they did a big funding round with Visa this year, giving their startup Stripe a $5 billion valuation. Well, a lot uh, of people in a startup phase would reckon they'd be doing pretty well if they had a five million exactly, valuation. Exactly. So they're definitely one of the darlings of Silicon Valley at the moment. And they won the EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Both in, They won the international category and then the overall EY Entrepreneur of the Year award. And then I guess they had a very good month in November because Patrick Collison, uh, the older brother, the CEO of Stripe, uh, he landed the front cover of Forbes magazine. Not bad. It's pretty impressive, all right, for someone in their 20s, you know, from Limerick, doing very well, doing us all proud. Well, what's good for Limerick has got to be good for the rest of Ireland. <laughs> uh, who else is on the up? You mentioned Colm Lyon. Yes, so Colm Lyon had a very good year as well. He struck gold in March uh, when he sold his business, Relax Payments, to a US firm called Global Payments. And what was the value on the transaction? And so the deal valued the company at $115 million, And uh, as far as we gather, Colm and his wife, Neve netted $90 million from the deal. So, so he clear, be... clear, clear, clearly yeah. they're going to have a, a nice Christmas dinner. Yes, a very good uh, Christmas dinner. And But he won't be retiring just yet. He has another company called Pay With Fire. So he's working on that at the moment. Wow. So who else is winning? Uh, well, I guess uh, Michael O'Leary has had a very good year as well. Uh, his blated charm offensive was rewarded in spades. So this is the new cuddly, friendly Ryanair, which absolutely loves its passengers. Exactly. And, you know, here's someone who in the past derided passengers as stupid. He's now found out that uh, be nice pays dividends and he's secured himself a 33% increase in pay and saw the value of his uh, stake in the carrier surge as a result of, like, increased revenues and pa- passengers. At the airline. And I think he's said at many opportunities uh, during the year that if only he'd known that by being nice to customers, he could have made so much money, he would have done it years ago. Well, I'm not sure if he would have. I think uh, he'd never, he, I think he wouldn't, would have tried way sooner, but he, he felt all along that actually keeping things at a very low base and not having any extra kind of additions. That's why it worked initially. Well, it doesn't cost any money to be nice. <laughs> well, True. he might say it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might actually have to give a refund. It actually, it definitely costs him money because uh, if you would forget your boarding pass or something, uh, they would charge you €6 Euro to uh, print it again, whereas now they're nice and they don't. So they're, lo- they're definitely losing a bit of money in that sense. Oh, the poor things. <laughs> Cliff, somebody who might fit, who could fit happily into either column, if you like, is uh, Dennis O'Brien, um, who's who's probably our, our wealthiest businessman, or certainly one of them anyway. And uh, he had a, a very interesting year. Uh, talk to us about some of his successes, first of all. 
Yeah, an ex- I mean, an extraordinary year for Dennis O'Brien. Um, as, as the old cliche goes, sell them out of the headlines. I guess the, the biggest success or the biggest financial windfall certainly came towards the end of the year with the sale of Topaz. Uh, this is a company that he bought a, a couple of years ago from, uh, from, from, from IBRC. Uh, he had previously been an investor. He had previously been a minority investor. Uh, there'd been a bit of uh, conflict between the investors and the company, but he ended up winning out buying mm. the company. Uh, he invested a significant amount in it, developing the whole forecourt, uh, the whole forecourt retail proposition. Which seems and it's to be the biggest fuel retailer in the country. Yeah, which is where, where petrol stations make their, make their money now. He bolted on ESSO. And, and he got permission for that this year? No sooner was the uh, SO bolt on, no sooner was the permission granted for that the, 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 at exactly the same time. In fact, uh, the, the sale of, uh, of Topaz was announced for, for a very healthy uh, 450 million. 450 million was the, was the uh, re- reported figure, shall we say. Uh, Do we know his profit on the We don't. Um, he's believed to have, have purchased the loans for about 150 million. Uh, I suppose what we don't know is the extent of the investment in the meantime, uh, the comings and goings of that in terms of borrowings, but it does look like he, 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 he did very well out of that deal for sure. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, certainly the biggest financial gain for him, for, for, for him during the year. Sure. Now, on the flip side, um, there were a few disappointments, shall we say, yeah. namely the Digicel IPO that never happened. Yeah, I guess that was probably the defining event for, for, for Dennis O'Brien's financial year anyway. Uh, this had been set up as uh, a huge a huge event for Digicel, an IPO that was to be valued at around $2 billion, uh, $2 billion in the New York Stock Exchange. It was all going well. All the preliminary soundings up to about a week beforehand were, were reasonably positive. Uh, but I, I suppose closer to the flotation, a couple of things started to come into play. One is that the overall environment in America started to get a bit dodgy. There were a couple of other IPOs that were pulled. There were a couple that were sold at significantly lower valuations that were expected. Things were getting a little nervy. And it also seems that the investors became a little unhappy or were a little unhappy about uh, some of the terms that were on offer. Uh, on the, in the digital flow. We don't know exactly what, but obviously price, as ever with these things, was an issue. Uh, and, and quite likely also the degree of control that Dennis Hope yeah, It was O'Brien, quite an extraordinary situation, wasn't it? He was going was. to give away, what, 40% of the equity? He was going to get, give away 40% of the equity, but he was going to retain uh, 90% plus control of the voting, voting rights. rights, if you like, in the company. So basically... What he was he was offering investors, as 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 one of his people put it to me, was was an economic interest in the company, uh, what was a stake in it uh, in its future. But he wasn't offering them control. He wasn't offering sure. them voting rights, which is quite unusual. And and particularly, I think, in a market which in an IPO market that was nervous and a bit edgy, uh, at the end of the day, the thing just didn't sell to investors. I mean, what Dennis O'Brien's people said was, look, we couldn't get the price. We weren't going to sell it on yeah. the cheap. But there's no doubt that it is painful having to pull pull an IPO like that course, at the yeah. last minute. Yeah, it was also a year in which he was involved in a lot of litigation, particularly in Ireland, yeah. against RTE, National Broadcaster, Houses of Parliament, yeah. Red Flag Consulting, which... He's had a setback in that yeah. particular case. Talk us through those. Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of it, I guess, sprung from uh, freedom of information, uh, freedom of information documents that emerged about the sale of SiteServe in 2012 from the IBRC, uh, which was bought by a company called Millington, which was a Dennis O'Brien company. And I, the overall details of that are familiar to people now. Before 
uh, the company was sold, the IBRC agreed a write-down of 110 million on debts of 150 million. Millington bought it for 45.4 million, and it now looks subsequently to that that it was a good deal. Uh, the company's making money. Um, and, and, and it's doing very well. has been renamed, but it has a very lucrative contract to fit Irish water meters, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, amongst Which others. It's created a lot of controversy. Yeah, yeah. and has expanded in Britain and is, 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 is overall doing very well. Information came out about that, uh, FOI, some of it was read into the record of the Dáil, and as you say, led to, it led to a whole clatter of legal actions uh, that Dennis took. The first was against RTE, where he was trying to get them not to reveal some financial information. Subsequently, that was revealed in the Dáil anyway, uh, by, by, by TD Catherine Murphy and, and also by, by, by Pierce Doherty. Subsequent, on, on foot of that, uh, Dennis O'Brien launched legal action against the House of Rochester's Commission, the State and the Attorney General also against the, the Committee on Procedures and Privileges. So a whole raft of legal action basically surrounding the, his claims that this information shouldn't have, been, shouldn't have been revealed in the way it was revealed. And by any standards, such legal actions are highly unusual. We are not in yeah. a system, a political system, in which Parliament is taken to court as a matter of routine. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the... One of, one of the cornerstones of the way the country operates is that is that is that things related things said in Parliament can be reported, and that Parliament is a safe place to discuss things. And you know there, there may be a price to pay for that in terms of people's reputations, and in terms of of, of TDs, you know, looking for publicity and, and 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 all that. But but nonetheless, that is the way the country has operated, and I, I suppose it was the first time that this issue has emerged uh, as a big one. Uh, when the information about Dennis O'Brien started to come sure. out, and at one stage he, he moved to try and stop newspapers and, and, and other media actually say, reporting that information. Sure. I think it's fair to say that the controversy around the O'Brien loans with IBRC led to this Commission of Investigation yeah. uh, with Judge Brian Cregan uh, yeah. heading it up on behalf of the government. And we're now faced with a situation where he has informed the government that he doesn't have sufficient time or resources to do the kind of report that they had initially wanted him to do. And that it could potentially take him up to eight years to complete his work, which yeah, is extraordinary. Another fine mess, as they say. I mean, this this at the very height of this uh, IBRC controversy, when not only the side serve deal, but a whole lot of other issues. Some of them related to Dennis O'Brien, but some of them related to other deals that uh, that the IBRC had done. And the whole operation of it was was in question. The government caved in, if you like, and found a political solution. Say, look, we'll set up a commission. Of investigation, uh, of inquiry into into Sitesurf. It'll report by the end of the year. It'll tell you all you want by the end of the year. Now it quickly became clear that that wasn't going to happen. That there were huge legal issues here, huge privacy issues related to this whole thing. Uh, and 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 as you say, the, the whole inquiry now has has run into the sand because the IBRC are saying to the Commission of Inquiry, look. We don't believe we have the legal cover to release this information to you. This is privileged. Um, and confidential banking information that we have. You don't have any right to this information. You certainly don't have any right to use it in something you might publish later on. The Department of Finance extraordinarily got, got the same legal advice that, that it should claim privilege. That, that advice wasn't mm. published, but, but it got the same legal advice. So the thing is now in a complete mess. And um, not only will we not see it before this election, we, we, we'd be lucky, I think, to see any outcome with this before, sure. before the next election. Now, Dennis O'Brien obviously had a big battle with Sir Anthony O'Reilly for control of yeah. independent news media. That was a, a, a battle that ultimately he won. Sir Anthony O'Reilly's fortunes haven't uh, turned up in any way uh, yeah. and significantly took a downturn this year when he was declared bankrupt in the Bahamas. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess a sad event for, for, for people who've been watching Irish business for, for, for long periods of time. I mean, Tony O'Reilly was one of the big names of 
Irish business for many years. Decades. Decades, you're right. Uh, through his time with Heinz, originally with Kerry Old, uh, with Heinz uh, in, in America, I suppose he was one of the first Irish Irish American executives to really make it. Uh, then he invested very heavily in Waterford Wedgwood, uh, too heavily as it turned out. Uh, got family members involved, put a lot of money in trying to trying to keep Waterford Wedgwood afloat. Uh, it it, it um, and, and obviously that failed. Then independent news and media lost a huge amount of money there and lost the battle for control. I think crucially, uh, with Dennis O'Brien and, and you know he may have survived one of those hits. He might have survived the hit from Waterford or from independent, but he couldn't survive the two of them together. And I think it's been clear for the last you know for the last year or so that 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 that, that he was heading. Uh, he was in very serious financial difficulties. He's lived out in the Bahamas or he has a residence out there for many years. And he chose to, 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 to go to the courts there and, and was accepted as going bankrupt uh, in, in the Bahamas courts, despite very strenuous objections from AIB, who have a judgment of 20, personal judgment of 21 million against him. Uh, all the other banks agreed, but AIB, AIB objected, but they, were, they, were, they lost in court. All very final for Tony O'Reilly then? Yes, I, I think so. Uh, you know, uh, when you go bankrupt, uh, he's, he's now going to have to go through a process of meeting creditors, of selling off uh, remaining assets, um, the proceeds being distributed to creditors. It remains to be seen, you know, what he what he can hold on to. The legal, the whole way this works out in the Bahamas is a bit different to, 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 to here. Uh, but yes, you're right. This is, I think, uh, the, the, the rather sad final chapter in his in his business career. And time was, Laura Slattery, that uh, Tony O'Reilly appeared he could do no wrong in the Irish media landscape. But there's been a whole lot else going on in the world of the Irish media as well. What stands out to you from 2015? Well, this time, 12 months ago, we were looking at massive changes in the broadcasting sector in particular, uh, more so than, say, uh, print and digital and the big change that happened on January 1st was ETV Ireland entering the, the market, another uh, competitor to RTE and TV3. Um, so it was a battle of too many. Channel, yeah, I mean, there was really, there's really too many channels in Ireland. I mean, just it's not just these big ones, there's also these little tiny little ones that all take tiny slimy slices out of the advertising market. So it was always going to be kind of a tough year for everybody on that side of things, even though the economy is doing better and more people are. Um, spending money on advertising but um, the, the, the big then you know it all became a kind of academic you know who's, who's watching which channels and you know how many ad dollars are coming in because of course the big change was at the corporate level um, in that TV3 was acquired by um, Liberty Global through its Irish subsidiary um, uh, UPC Ireland as was it's Virgin Media Ireland as it's known now it's rebranded and also UTV itself was bought the television assets were bought by ITV which a deal that's yet to go through but is expected to do so soon then we had you know there's a sign of the times another another company with a more not, not traditional television company and that's Air uh, buying Stanta Sports at the end of the year so uh, the big story is the convergence between telecoms and television that, that really gathered a pace this year. And actually, just to go back to what you mentioned, talking about Tony O'Reilly and his legacy, you, you know, his, his estate is, is actually owned by John Malone, who's the man behind Liberty uh, Global now. Yes, yeah, so that, that changed hands, and it was real sort of eye-catching, I suppose, mm. 
There was also a significant milestone for INM this year, wasn't there, in terms of its recovery, because it's now essentially debt-free following the decision to sell the stake in Australian APN. Yeah, INM became debt-free, and also its its advertising revenues are growing, and and in fact, you know, there is a lot of more stability across the newspaper market uh, at the uh, at the right now compared to say two or three years ago. Even the even the um, decline in print circulation has slowed down a little bit, uh, but you wouldn't say anything's out of the woods yet, and you would. Um, we're still looking for, I suppose, this new. Um, efforts by various companies, including our own, to to make money from digital, and we'll see how that pans out now in the next few years. What happens next in the in the media landscape? What do you foresee in the in the new world in which TV3 is under new ownership, Satanta is under new ownership? Well, it's I mean the the battle is 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 ongoing, and it. it it's something that consumers, viewers are going to notice because it's uh, the thing that's being fought over um, uh, almost the most fiercely is is sports rights. So we have the situation where RTE might have to sub-license some sports uh, rights that they already own next year in order to recoup some money and pay for all the other things they have to do, like the general election, the 1916 commemorations, all all of that. And uh, this is a really, uh, you know, uh, it's hotly contested in Ireland, but and of course John, it's John Malone has been yeah. asserting his influence, or his company yeah. has been asserting its influence in the in, in terms of rugby rights already. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, TV3 uh, acquired the rights to um, the Six Nations from 2018, which they actually did before the Liberty deal went through. But you know, they were able to do so with the confidence of knowing that they they're backed by this massive group. And this is a big international trend as well. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in the Caribbean, where Dan O'Brien has has not had a good time of it there. The I think the English Premier League writes in the Caribbean shortly, you know, not long after the Digicel IPO was pulled, um, were, were, were acquired by one of his big rivals out there. So sports rights become kind of sort of the focus for these big um, these big media battles. And that's so going to be the case next year. So a landscape in which uh, ownership and control uh, is changing is also changing in terms of what exactly is produced and by whom and for what market. Absolutely, yeah, and there's some there's some winners um, in, in in this, but and uh, namely those who own the uh, own the actual uh, sports uh, tournaments, the, the the sporting bodies. But um, as far as media goes, it, it's just a lot of competition, and you maybe might have to expect some consolidation um, in the next few years as well. Where in particular? Uh, well, I mean, it's one possibility is that um, Liberty Global, uh, it's a nine point nine percent stakeholder in ITV uh, which, which is now say, owns UTV yeah, Ireland as you said. It owns UTV and UTV Ireland it may continue with UTV Ireland it may amalgamate those two channels in some way or it, we don't know um, but it's certainly foreseeable that they could um, buy the rest or a bigger bigger chunk of, of ITV PLC um, then there's Vodafone. I mean, as I say, we mentioned Air. I've mentioned, you know, you know, Liberty Globe is a cable company. Vodafone's another cash-rich company that can go around buying assets if it wants to. So you have all these uh, companies from, what you, as I said, the t- traditionally the telecom side of things, getting deeper into television and deeper into content-owning businesses. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be some, some interesting deals next year. So there's been a lot to watch in 2015 in the media and an awful lot to watch again in 2016. Thank you, Laura, for more winners, more losers and more action in Irish business. Come back after the break. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to return to Pamela now to talk about her winners and losers. I should have said earlier, in fact, that uh, Pamela has done a very extensive piece for the newspaper, which will be appearing on December 30th. So uh, do buy it because an excellent piece, which uh, very comprehensively rounds up who the winners and losers in Irish business were in 2015. Uh, Pamela, let's maybe just focus on a couple of the losers uh, this year. Uh, David Drum, the former banker, definitely one of them. He's going to spend Christmas in jail. Yes, so he has been fighting extradition from the United States for the last while. Uh, obviously, he's wanted back in Ireland to face 33 charges, criminal charges, relating to transactions carried out while he was chief executive of Anglo-Irish Bank during the financial crisis. And he has been fighting that extradition. He was arrested on October the 10th, and then he was refused bail recently. Mm. So he will be behind bars uh, uh, south of Boston in the United States until March 16th when the case is heard. And there was also a bankruptcy case, of course, earlier in the year when the judge had some very harsh words for him uh, and dismissed it out of hand, basically, his... Yeah. So he, he he really is in a bad place. He's subsequently taken an appeal and uh, his appeal is being rejected as well. Yeah, it has. So um, the judge had said, it was argued that he his like, legal team argued that uh, he wouldn't be a flight risk and uh, so they should give him bail. But the judge said that uh, someone like him would have access to like uh, very high contacts and you know people in high places or a lot of money uh, so he would definitely be a flight risk and so that's why he was denied bail. It's quite an extraordinary downfall really isn't it? Yes it is definitely you know just a few years ago uh, he was doing very well and living the high life. It does kind of raise the question what would have happened if he had stayed in Ireland if he if he hadn't gone this route? Yeah indeed I mean Cliff do you think he's a flight risk in all reality? I mean, is is the prospect of David Drum going on the run in the Caribbean or Mexico or somewhere? I don't know. You, you never know, Kieran. It, it it would appear unlikely. I, I I would guess. You know, he's he's got he's got a he's got a, he's got a wife. He's got he's got kids. Uh, he's got a life in America now. We presume he wants to go back to Ireland. Has 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 an extended family here. Uh, you would think it's unlikely, but the, you know that's what the judge uh, that's what the judge in America has decided, and they tend to, you know, in America take a you know they don't tend to take risks on these things in America. It appears they take these things very seriously, yeah. and uh, that's 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 the way the ruling went. And it's been a very slow-moving process, really. I mean, the, the extradition warrant was it was it was issued uh, quite a while ago, but it ultimately shows that when these things happen, they happen, and they happen quite in a quite a forceful way in the American system, in particular. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, obviously there's a. There's a, uh, I suppose, a history of of of, of dealing with alleged financial demeanors and uh, misdemeanors in, in in the U.S. system and, and dealing with them uh, quite severely. Uh, and and I think we've we've seen the contrast between the U.S. and the Irish system in, in in the way this has been dealt with. As you say, it has taken some time and maybe a bit more time than than any of us would have expected, uh, because things often happen very quickly in the states. 
Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, the final hearing will, will, will come in March, we'll, and we'll have to see what the what the result is, what the result is of that. But we we may see Mr. Drum back in Ireland facing sure. facing a large number of charges. Pamela Deirdre Foley, um, she got caught up in the whole Cleary's controversy. I, I could, I suppose, you could say in publicity terms, she's been a loser this year. Maybe in the long term, she'll prove to be a winner financially out of this transaction. But just to recap uh, for people, Cleary's was sold by Gordon Brothers to a company controlled by Deirdre Foley. In the wee hours of the morning then, that was sold on. Uh, the operating company was effectively sold on to uh, a specialist uh, insolvency expert in Northern Ireland. Um, that company has been wound up, so the trading entity is gone. People, the Cleary staff have lost their jobs, but Deirdre Foley and her company now own the property, which is in a prime site in Dublin and presumably will be worth a lot of money when redeveloped. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so I'd say financially, uh, Deirdre Foley will do very well out of the whole deal. But I guess from a public image uh, perspective, a lot of people were very upset with the sale. So in June of this year, in the dead of the night, you know, this deal was all done and, you know, much to the shock of everyone, Cleary's was closed with immediate effect and none of the people working there got any notice when it shut down. And it was very sad, I guess, for a lot of them and maybe a lot of... Someone who had worked there for more than 40 exactly, years. Exactly, yeah. And even, you know, consumers as well, because like Cleary's has had a very long, been in Ireland a very long time and it's been a very well-known department store. It's It's been in business over 162 years. It's a very proud trading tradition. Exactly. A, 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 a permanent fixture of the scene. Yeah. Survived world wars. Yeah, two, it survived two world wars, it survived three recessions, it survived you know, being demolished during the 1916 Rising and then for it to just suddenly close. And I have to say, I've really, I've really missed it uh, this Christmas in particular. When it when it shut down, although there was a few people saying, oh, but sure, when was the last time you shopped well, in Well, when Cleary's was the last anyway? time you shopped there? Well, like? I, I shopped in there quite a lot because I live in the north side. So, you know, if you did live in the north side, then you did shop, but you probably did shop there quite a bit. I mean, it's only if you're on the other side of town that you didn't cross. Cliff, over. the uh, Clontarf-based well-known businessman, John Teeling, um, mm. once told me that the demise of Cleary's was all down to the fact that the the bus stops were removed from outside its front door. Uh, what, 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 what <laughs> I mean, for <laughs> years, for years, I mean, the, the whole the, everyone meeting on a date in Dublin, you met below Cleary's clock. I mean, that was that was where are the front of are the front of Trinity. They they were the two the two spots, depending on whether you were a Southsider or a Northsider. And then you went on from Cleary's out to the to the cinemas up on O'Connell Street. And O'Connell Street was a very different place then. Mm. Uh, you know, and as it was Laura a glamorous place. It was, so yeah. It was a going out place. It was. And as Laura said, you know, sa- I suppose the closure of Cleary's is another, uh, you know, another nail in the coffin of, of, of O'Connell Street, which, uh, which has gone down and down in recent years. Uh, from its previous glamour to something, you know, quite mm. a tatty street in a lot of ways. Well, the, 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 there's no doubt that the, the manner in which this was yeah. transacted was was awful. Yeah. But in the long term, could it be good for O'Connell Street? I mean, whatever uh, emerges from the redevelopment. Well, there's talk of a, of a hotel on the site there. Uh, so, yes, it could be. I mean, O'Connell Street needs money spent on it. There's no doubt about that. I mean, as you said, very sad to, to see Cleary's go. If it was to go, certainly it should, you know, it should have been done in a, in, 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 in a much more, in a manner, much more understanding of the, of the employees and much more sensitive to their needs. You know, if the thing was losing a lot of money, maybe it was going to close eventually. But they had zero notice. They, that's exa- precisely. And uh, indeed, the concession holders had zero notice yeah, as well. So Arthur, I think you're bursting with a couple of anecdotes about Cleary's. Well, uh, well I, I, I recall your, your, your story about John Teeling, and he makes a, <laughs> he possibly makes a very valid point, but I do seem to recall an interview in which John Teeling told you that he's never actually been on a bus himself, so it's quite extraordinary <laughs> that he wouldn't know where the bus stops are. Well, I think he might have looked at Cleary's at one point in terms of purchasing it himself. 
uh, and he obviously took note of the fact that the bus stops were no longer in front of the uh, front door. But anyway, and there, there <laughs> we well, go. The, whole, the, 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 the whole, Lewis will be up there. The whole Henry Street uh, sector, you know, the end of Henry Street has been redeveloped to some extent and is, and is kind of buzzing now with, but Henry uh, with life. Thriving and it that's what, that's what I mean. Well, so in terms of footfall, it is, yeah, for sure. For you sure. would think there, must be, there must, be, uh, must be opportunities for Collins Street sure. to get people and down. Also, and it is still the home of the GPO and all these great historical landmarks. Yeah. So it's, it, there's no reason why it couldn't be the focal point for tourism and everything else. Cliff, it was good to see Arnott's was transacted during the year and we have Selfridges Group now, the UK-based retailer, taking it over. A real professional uh, retailer with, you know, department store experience owned by Galen Weston, the Canadian billionaire, owner of Brown Thomas. Yeah. Uh, the future surely must be bright for Arnold's. You would have thought so. I mean, I think their recent results showed that they were they were making a small bit of money the previous year. Uh, you would have thought the place, it will go from strength to strength now. Anytime you go into Arnott's, there's, there's huge numbers of people there. Uh, uh, Selfridges will bring, you know, extraordinary expertise, extraordinary international contexts, I presume buying power internationally. New brands. New brands. Uh, and, and just knowledge, just know-how of how... And a bit of, of TLC for the building that's been sadly lacking. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, Cleary's and Arnest, I suppose, were the two big names in, in retailing on that side of the city. We've unfortunately lost one, but great, as you say, to see the other, the other being, yeah. being invested in and, and, and hopefully developed, giving uh, you life. I, I wonder, will there be any life yet in the, the plan that was there under the ownership of Richard Nesbitt, in mm-hmm. which Arnest was going to kind of take control of, not only of the, uh, the section of Henry Street that it has and the mm-hmm. section of Liffey Street, but the plan was to build around and to expand into... Abbey well, we know that well. Noel Smith owns those adjoining yeah. properties now. We don't know what he's planning to do with yeah. them, but they're in his ownership. As, in fact, is the Arnott's car park. Yeah, I mean, one of them, it was one of the many plans that went, you know, put on ice during the uh, during the economic downturn and absolutely no way it could have been done, but you would have thought... Uh, Might now have been a good financial sh- idea at the time, but it was it's still a good idea. Absolutely, you would have thought now that there must be opportunities to, re- to revive that. And as you say, we don't know what Noel Smith's plans are, but we assume yeah, that he sure. has some. Pamela, not a good year for the IFA. No, it's been a very, very bad year for the IFA. And it was supposed to be a very good year for them because uh, the milk quotas were lifting in the first quarter of this year. And so uh, they thought it was going to be an excellent year. The dairy dairy. farmers. There's been a lot of investment taking place. There has, you know, a lot of the companies have expanded their, you know, milk processing facilities throughout Ireland uh, to prepare for the lifting of the quotas. Uh, But then towards the end of this year, everything went horribly wrong uh, when it came out that uh, Pat Downey and, or Pat Smith, sorry, and Eddie Downey, yeah, were on uh, very high salaries. Exactly. So, uh, like, many of the farmers are on very low incomes. uh, So all hell broke loose when they found out that uh, Pat Smith was paid 535,000 in 2013 and then 445,000 last year and, and Smith Eddie resigned. Downey was, Eddie Downey was on a substantial he sum was, of money as well. He was, yeah, exactly. And then uh, I guess what made matters worse after they found out, everyone found out they were on very high salaries is that uh, the IFA president, Eddie Downey, he stepped down but it emerged then that he had approved a 2 million euro payment to Pat Smith on top, yeah, on top of his 2.7 million euro pension pot. 
So everyone was none too happy with that as well. Cliff farmers are normally very careful with their money. They normally know yeah. where every cent and euro goes. How how come this slipped under the radar with them? How come they didn't know about these good. enormous payments made to executives? Yeah, good question, Kieran. I mean, for years it appears that uh, the pay of the uh, Secretary General was tied to, or the pay of the head of the IFA was tied to the Secretary General of the Department of Agriculture, which seems a reasonable thing to do because you know one would be negotiating with the other. Uh, and the head of the IFA is, is, is a big job and uh, no question that it deserves decent remuneration. It's an important job and the negotiations in Brussels in particular have a really important impact on the livelihood of farmers. But the amounts of money involved in this were, were, just, were just astonishing. And uh, incredible, as you say, that, that, that it was kept under wraps, that uh, it seems to have come as a huge surprise uh, to, 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 to the people concerned. And that uh, the you know huge payoffs were then you know a huge payoff was then negotiated as well. But it's testament to the power of the IFA that the that so much money uh, was within the organisation for yeah. it to be able to pay these people, yeah, albeit uh, in a scenario where the members who actually paid the dues had yeah. no idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was put forward as a public a public issue, and to an extent, to an extent, it is. But really, it's it's a matter for the farmers. You know, they're the ones that are paying in the money. I know there are levies taken at uh, at, at marts and things as well. And, you know, it is a national representative body. But you know, it's up to the farmers what they want to pay the head of the IFA. And it it, it does seem that you know they didn't know, uh, and quite extraordinary that uh, that that happened and, and the amounts of money involved. But it is really, really a, a powerful organisation. Absolutely, there, there isn't another organisation in the land hardly that could, a, you know, at yeah. the drop of a hat, get tens of thousands of people uh, marching on the on the street outside yeah. the department in any government department. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and year after year, the IFA have taken, you know, a very aggressive approach to lobbying. You know, sheep in the centre of Dublin and various other sheep farm in the lobby animals, of the Department of the the Agriculture. At one point, I seem to recall. Uh, you know, very tough negotiators, not only in Dublin but also in Brussels, uh, drive a very hard deal very quick to criticise uh, ministers, very quick to demand money paid out to farmers if anything goes wrong. Uh, you know, and you'd have to think that maybe the power of the IFA is, has been hurt by this whole controversy a bit and it's going to take it a while to get back on its feet and to get back the kind of oomph that it had in negotiations and, 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 and I suppose the the respect that it had in the, in the community. Well, there's a credibility issue on two fronts. Yeah. There's a credibility issue with the government and its inter interlocutors, but there's mm. also a credibility issue with its own members. Yeah, yeah. And if an organisation doesn't speak with one voice, then its its power is is you know is is going to be lessened. We we'll move from the farm now to the web. Um, Laura, one of the big controversies of the year was the decision by Paddy Cosgrave founder of the Web Summit to move it from Dublin to Lisbon and all sorts of uh, reasons were subsequently cited but no question he's burnt a lot of bridges in Dublin. It was a PR disaster I think for Paddy Cosgrave and the Web Summit and an avo avoidable one I think. Um, there was a re correspondence released between Paddy and representatives of, of the Taoiseach and you know they were trying desperately to um, to get them to agree to various um, uh, things on to do with traffic and hotels and everything else trying to make the web summit run a little smoother for the size of the event and you know it swelled massively over the years and maybe had become arguably become too big uh, for for the venue and too big for 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 the city even, um, but it well, was strange that. thing was that even though many people would agree with the substance of maybe a lot of what Paddy Cosgrave said about you know things to do with government being 
too bureaucratic, too inefficient. Mm. Not maybe well, not getting the priorities right. From the government for yeah, this I mean, which is a private yeah, event, one on which exactly. he's made a substantial amount of money. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't maybe there wasn't the complete picture wasn't in the, those uh, that correspondence that was released. But even you know where people as I said might have had said you had you have a point, Paddy, about various things. Mm. They still probably ultimately concluded. Well, actually, no. You're you're asking for too much here. This is you know things like shutting down, you know, streets in in town for after parties at night time. Well, you wanted guard Sorry, escorts just, and all sorts. Yeah, I mean, airport. it's just kind of that's kind of almost like uh, sort of you know we don't yeah. we don't live in, in a billionaire's plutocracy. You know, <laughs> we just we just don't. And uh, the the sort of the tech the the global tech community. You know, then I don't even think they're coming for Dublin for for the red carpet treatment. They're coming for to Dublin for some sort of uh, perception of crack and pints and uh, all the rest of it and it's yeah. geographically it's not you know it's, it's in a good place so even though even th- even though people might have agreed with said agreed with Patty and last stuff they still concluded yeah, okay off you go to Lisbon and 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 wish we wish you well as Enda Kenny said <laughs> the other thing that, that struck me was that here, here was someone who had many 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 I mean thousands of paying clients that were all over Dublin all over Balls Bridge and he said it to be a terrible form really really terrible form it was kind of like it was kind of this by any standards would be a you know a business success there was all of this issue going around around the departure yeah. to Lisbon but it really it kind of it didn't to my mind convey an impression of someone of, of, yeah, a, of an organization a business that was uh, you know in a good place with its business I think the tone was nearly set the year before where um, uh, Paddy Quasgrave complained about the the RDS Wi-Fi on the stage of the event. To me, that that you know, regardless of who who or was and wasn't at fault, and the, I know the RDS did come out this year and and with their list their list of. Uh, reasons why you know history of their relationship mm. with with the website. But he's also blamed hoteliers but for report just, prices, yeah. which but you, the yeah, hoteliers say yeah, is completely untrue. Yeah, they discount untrue. that, and you know, and, and and also, what do you want? What do you actually want to to do? Do you want some sort of price fixing? Like, mm. how how do you how do you solve that? I mean, this, every city in the world will, as um, as tech reporters will say, r- raise their prices for the big tech events. Sure, absolutely, and it happens with soccer events, music events, the whole lot. Pamela, you've actually covered the web summit of all the people sitting around this table. You've probably done more to cover the website than any of us. Um, what's it been like, and is it a big loss to Dublin? It was, it's definitely a big loss. It's got bigger and bigger. It's nearly got too big <coughs> for an attendee now. It's not. I think it's not as enjoyable as it was previously, you, either as a regular attendee or as someone who's an entrepreneur or as someone who's mm. a journalist. It's a bit chaotic. There's just so much people, so much stuff going on. How well do you know Paddy? I mean, what, what's behind all of this? What's Paddy is um, quite a passionate entrepreneur, so he would get frustrated by things very easily and would probably just... The frustration then just comes out uh, and it's very clear to everyone. He nearly takes things personally. So that time when the Wi-Fi was down, you know, everyone was complaining there and it like really frustrated him. And so that's why his reaction was to go on stage and like give out like hell to the RDS and say that the Web Summit had wanted uh, to do thing do it their own way, but the RDS wouldn't let them, and that's what's happened with all the Wi-Fi. So he tends to just kind of have outbursts, and he had an outburst this year on Morning Ireland during the Web Summit, and he accused the government of lies and everything. 
but I think it's like sheer frustration. I think if you contrast the way he has outbursts with the way, say, somebody like Michael O'Leary has outbursts, you get the sense that Michael O'Leary, you know, knows what he's doing whenever he has an outburst. You know, that it's very calculated. Yeah, and there's always a sort of an under undertone of humour and so on. And I just think maybe you know O'Leary knows how to deal the cards, and maybe Paddy Cosgrave. Uh, didn't in this situation but who knows because it may you know he may well go on to bigger and bigger things uh, in Lisbon and in the years to come Cliff it's been a big year in the Irish economy growth is back domestic demand is back we've been through this a million times Uh, on the face of it the news is very 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 good uh, notwithstanding some pressures at the level of individuals however uh, we have a new man in the central bank Philip Lane Professor Philip Lane he must stand out as a winner in the economic landscape this year yeah absolutely and and a really important job I I think we saw in the build-up to the crisis, the cost to the country, the cost to the economy from having people in, 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 in high positions in the central bank and the regulatory system who weren't doing their job. Uh, and, and, and we saw, I suppose, something of a, of, of a rescue act done by Patrick Ahonahan subsequently. Uh, he's now handed over to Philip Lane, as you say, probably the, or d- definitely the most senior uh, public appointment of the year. A really important job. A really important job because the banking system still isn't fixed, if you like. Uh, the banks are still lending less money now than they were la- they were lending a year ago. There are huge regulatory issues. They've just announced a new uh, a new probe into tracker mortgages. Uh, there's an awful lot to be done uh, at, at, at the domestic level. But as we've seen with Patrick Ahonahan's uh, tenure as well, a really key part of this job is representing Ireland in Europe. And he's our man in Frankfurt. He's our man in Frankfurt. Frankfurt is where our interest rates are set. Frankfurt is now where all our big banks are regulated. Frankfurt is where the big decisions are made on how much capital banks have to hold on their future, uh, on anything that goes wrong or any bank that goes into trouble. All the big decisions are going to be made in Frankfurt in future. So this is a really important job. And I think it came down in the end to a decision between uh, two really high, highly qualified candidates. One, a senior public servant, uh, Robert Watt. The other, a very senior academic, Philip Lane. And it seems that uh, the Minister for Finance made the call on the basis that Philip Lane was, was, was the person with the connections in Frankfurt and I suppose the academic background that he felt would count in Frankfurt as opposed to the management expertise which Robert Watt would have brought, which is another key part of the job. But a close decision, but Philip Lane, as you say, was the, came out the winner. And he brings serious academic spurs to this job. Pr- pretty much as serious as you, as you could get, I, th- I think, in the Irish context. Uh, and also uh, very relevant in that the areas that he has worked in and specialised in are directly re- relevant to monetary policy, the financial system, and in fact he's, you know, he's worked in, in, in Frankfurt on a number of those projects. So I, I guess if you're looking for somebody with the academic expertise in Ireland, uh, you know, Patrick Onan was chosen for that reason five years ago, and Philip Lane has, with very similar qualifications, has been chosen now. He's and not above going on YouTube, though. I should say he marked his first day true. with a, 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 quite a nice uh, message of, of, of to staff about what, what he was going to do with the central bank in the months ahead. It's yeah. a, certainly a departure in the pantheon of uh, previous central bank governors. Yeah, no doubt the communication is now a huge part of that job. Uh, I mean. I remember years ago, you, you wouldn't get a word out of the central bank governor for most of the year. 
he and it was always that he would come out twice or three times a year and make an important speech and then retreat back into the bunker and nothing more would be said. Just to analyse the, the grunts. That Absolutely. No interviews would ever be given. Patrick Hunhan changed that somewhat. Of course, he made some, Patrick uh, gave some interesting interviews. He did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. And, and one, of, yes, one in particular where he actually rang the radio station concerned, rang RTE to, famously before the... Uh, before the bailout. His call being taken by Des Cahill, that well-known uh, <laughs> right. well economic commentator. In fairness to Des, I think he obviously recognised the importance of what was going on. Uh, but you're right, I maybe that's the defining moment for communications in, in, in the Irish central banking system. But uh, that was somebody stepping in and saying on, on a big national issue. And I think Philip Lane may not have to do anything of quite that import. Well, let's but hope he, is, he doesn't, really. Let's hope he doesn't. But he is likely to clash with the government uh, for example, on, on, on this area of the mortgage, uh, of, of, of the restrictions on mortgage lending, which have now become very controversial, house prices are, are falling. The new government is going to be nudging the central bank government well, to ease the rules. Well, they've more than nudged Michael yeah. Noonan. Uh, I, I interviewed Michael Noonan and he called for a review. Yeah, yeah. And I think that whoever's the, the, the next Minister of Finance will be, will be upping the heat. So that's, if you like, the first test for Philip Lane. I think we'll, we'll, we'll be dealing with that. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. We'll have one more broadcast this year. That's on December 30th, when we'll be looking towards 2016 with a panel of senior executives. Uh, For today, my thanks to Cliff Taylor, Pamela Noonan and Laura Slattery. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also get the latest business news by buying the Irish Times newspaper each day. That was Kieran Hancock. That was Arthur Beasley. Until next time, take care. And happy Christmas.